Good morning, and welcome to Redwood Christian Church. Uh, my name is Kurt, and I am honored that you are uh, joining us today here on Facebook or our website or YouTube or wherever you might be uh, joining us from. Uh, not too much longer till we're meeting again in person, but until then, I'm honored that you're here with us today as we worship Jesus. I, I got a question for you before we jump into the sermon today. Uh, what has prayer looked like in your life? Or maybe another way to say that is, is it looking back into your life, looking back in the history of your life, what role has prayer played? Now, I, I've got to preface what I'm about to say with this. Some of you know me. I'm what you call a Buick. I'm a brought-up-in-church kid. So I spent you know, Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, Wednesday evenings, often other nights of my week at church. And, and as a result of that, I was really taught from an early age that one of the things you should do every day is pray. And I don't say this to brag, but that was just part of my habit. And I remember, in fact, some of my earliest memories I can remember as a, as a small kid involved praying. Now, often, as a small kid, you typically pray two times a day. You pray before you eat a meal, and you pray at bedtime. And so for me, that, that was it. It was, you know, blessing my food at dinner time or or at, at bedtime praying and, and my mom will like to tell you I was extremely detailed as I prayed at bedtime. I went through the alphabet. God please bless and I would name every single member of my family, all of my friends, yes, even my stuffed animals. My mom loves to tell me that story to kind of embarrass me a little bit. It's obviously a, a treasured memory for her. But I think about that. Prayer, even at a young age, meant something to me, even if I didn't understand it. Now, maybe you grew up in church, and you've got a similar background to mine, and prayer played a similar role in your life as it did in mine. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't grow up in church, and, and maybe, maybe you're new to church. Maybe church has really never had a, an impact or a spot in your life whatsoever. And as a result, prayer has always been something maybe everybody else did, or maybe it was something that you know you did when you had no other option. You prayed and you asked God to step in because you didn't know where else to turn. And maybe I believe in God, maybe I don't. But if he's out there, maybe he'll listen and he'll take care of me. Now, if that's you, understand that there's something to feel bad about. Because we're going to talk today about prayer. If you're just joining us, we've been in this series called One in Christ, where we're working our way through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, the book of Ephesians, as we sometimes call it. If you've got a Bible, we're in Ephesians chapter 3 today. And as we're getting there, I want to ask you a question really quick, kind of right in line with what we were just talking about. Uh, if you were only able to ask God one thing or ask God for one thing, what would that be? Now, if, again, if you were going to pray right now and say, God, please do, and you filled in that blank with one thing, what would it be? Now, I want to preface this and say that we aren't limited to just one thing, okay? I, I, I want to make that very clear, but I'm just trying to make you think a little bit here, and we'll kind of get back to this in a little bit, why we're, we're asking this question. So, so what would that one thing be? Would, would it be a need? Would it be a praise? Would it be a thanksgiving? And then if it were a need, would it be a personal need for you or a need for somebody else? Or what would it be? Again, it's not a trick question. There's no right or wrong answer uh, to this. But as we get into Ephesians chapter 3 today, we're, we're going to start kind of at the last uh, third or so of the, this chapter. Paul breaks into the middle of what he's been talking about to pray. 
Now, if you've got any familiarity with the way Paul writes his letters in our New Testament, you know that often Paul gives an introduction and then he offers a prayer. And then often he comes back and he closes his letters with another prayer. But here in Ephesians, he stops right in the middle of what he's talking about and prays. And I think that should kind of get our attention a little bit. Because in our world today, how often in the midst of this pandemic, the last two months, have you stopped and prayed? And then kind of to throw a wrinkle in this too, how have your prayers changed over these last two months? How have they gone from the beginning of March to now the beginning of May? What do your prayers look like? Or I guess we're in the middle of May. I'm getting a little behind myself now. But how have your prayers changed? You see, Paul, uh, Paul jumps right into this prayer, right on the heels of what we talked about last week, about this mystery of, of Jesus, this mystery of, of God, by saying this, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. We're going to pause right there for just a second because I want to get your attention with a few things right off the bat. For, for starters, Paul starts this section the way he started chapter 3 with three words, for this reason. Remember what we said last week. When you see the words, for this reason, you immediately look back to what you just read. Last week we saw this at the beginning of chapter 3, so we flip back to chapter 2. Today we look at this, and, and what I think Paul's getting at is as he gets into this prayer, is everything he's talked about in Ephesians up to this point is leading him to get to his knees in prayer. Uh, he, he's talked about how uh, we have these spiritual blessings through Jesus and, and how he's so thankful for the Ephesians. And then in chapter 2, he talked about how we are saved by grace through faith, not by any works that we could possibly do on our own, and that we are reconciled to God through Christ. And because we're reconciled to God through Christ, we're reconciled to each other. And last week, uh, we, we looked at the beginning of chapter 3, how there's this mystery of Jesus, this mystery of God, which is simple. The gospel, that message of salvation, is for everyone. And we as the church, it's our command and our duty to take it out to the world. So for this reason, Paul is driven to his knees to pray. Now don't let that little phrase right there, on my knees, don't let that slide by. Because that's pretty significant here. That shows you the weight of Paul's prayer here. You see, for a Jewish man, it was actually uh, not common to get on your knees to pray. You may read that and you think, well, I get on my knees at my bedside every night. I, I kneel before my bed, or, or maybe I just kneel in my living room, or uh, I mean, I grew up in, in church sometimes. We would kneel down to pray. Many of you did as well. But this idea of kneeling to pray was not common for a Jewish man. In fact, often Jews would stand and they would, would look to heaven to pray kind of like this. And it wasn't a sign of, you know, them being arrogant or anything like that. Or, hey, look at me. It was, no, that was just their common posture was to stand. It was almost like they were getting closer to God by standing up as opposed to kneeling down. Kind of how maybe we stand when we sing our songs in, in church on a Sunday morning. And sometimes we raise our head up and we raise our hands up. That's how a Jewish man often would pray. In fact, that's how Jesus often prayed. John chapter 17, uh, Jesus is, is getting ready to go be arrested and go to the cross right at the end of all those amazing things that happened in the middle there of John. John chapter 17 says this, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. Again, that's implying that he is standing up. But Paul here, 
Paul is so driven by what he has just written. This amazing message of Jesus, this amazing salvation, this gift of grace, and this idea that God has reconciled us all together and that the gospel is for everyone. He is so overwhelmed by that, he can do nothing but drop to his knees and bow his head in prayer. And look what he says about God. He says, uh, he calls him the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now, this is kind of a play on words here, specifically two Greek words, the Greek word pater and patria. Uh, now, from these words, pater and patria, we get our English words father and family. They're very closely tied together. In other words, this is a reference to the authority and the sovereignty of God. He is the father of all humanity who rules and reigns over all humanity. In all of this, Paul can't stand. He drops to his knees in prayer. Now, let me ask you a question here. What do you know about God that should drive you to your knees? Not in submission, not, not to beat you down, but because you just couldn't possibly stand before him. I, th I think back to the Old Testament story of Moses approaching the burning bush. And, and he goes to see what it is, and, and God stops him and he says, No, Moses, take off your shoes because where you're standing is holy ground. One of my professors in, in Bible college, we called him Griff. Uh, his, his last name is Griffin, but he just loved to go by Griff. And he always used to remind us of that. And, and he'd always tell us, never approach the throne of God flippantly. Never approach the throne of God apathetically. No, you need to remember sometimes when you go to the Father, you need to remind yourself that where you're standing is holy ground and you need to take off your shoes. Now, he's being metaphorical, of course. But what it's saying is we need to strip ourselves of our normal posture and remember that God is God. He's the God who spoke the world into being. He's the God who created everything. We need to hit our knees in prayer for him sometimes. You see, often I think a lot of you can be guilty of the same things I am. And that you go to God when you need a, uh, something answered. You need a prayer request answered. Now don't get me wrong. God wants to answer our request, and Paul's getting ready to get into a few of those here. But let me challenge you with something. Before we go any further today talking about prayer, before you start to ask God, God, please take care of this situation. Please heal so-and-so. Please guide our leaders. I mean, all these things we challenge you to pray for. Before you do those, you need to remember who God is. That He is God. The God over all. God the Father. God the Creator. God the Lord. And sometimes we need to take off our shoes on that holy ground and we need to get on our knees to remember that. Paul does that and then he rolls into a string of requests. Now again, I asked you earlier, if you could ask God for one thing, what would it be? I'm going to go on a limb here and say like 90% of you probably had a request of some sort. And again, that's okay because God wants to answer those requests. Mine probably would be a request if I was just, what would I ask God for? Mm, make all this go away or you know, get us back to normal or be with our leaders or something along those lines, right? Here comes Paul with his request. The first one is that he asks that the church be strengthened with power. Look at verse 16 here. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Let me ask you a question. When you're going to start 
your, your request. Maybe you follow that pattern where you give God some worship and you give God a list of thanksgivings and then you get into your request. That, that's great. How many of yours right off the bat is for the church? That's right where Paul goes here. See, see, we're really good at praying for things like protection from danger or healing from sickness or all of these things, blessings, etc. But how many of you go, not just for the church, but you go for, God, give me power. God, give me strength. How many of you guys go for those? See, uh, we, we've, we've talked about this before. We talked about this a few weeks back in our, our series on the Holy Spirit. Th- that we need to be reminded that we need to pray for boldness and power. Not always courage, or I'm sorry, not always protection and safety, but courage. We need to pray that God would lead us into those problems. See, I think with, with this, it, it, when we, we pray that God gives us the power of the Holy Spirit, it leads to courage to face the increasing problems of our world. How many of you have prayed, God, keep me safe, and, and every problem of the world has gone away? <laughs> it's probably not going to happen this side of heaven. Just as there were problems that they faced in the Bible, in the New Testament times, there's problems we're facing today. And we're, we're facing them right now in the midst of a global pandemic. You know, and maybe you look at this and go, well, hey, the numbers haven't been as bad as, as they predicted. Or, or you're saying, well, well, maybe it's still really bad out there. Maybe you're falling somewhere in between on, on where this all is. The fact of the matter is our world has been turned upside down these last two months. That's just a reality. And how many of us, instead of, of griping or complaining that it's too much this way or it's too much that way, we're praying, God, give me the strength to just push through. Give me the strength to continue to be a light for you in the midst of all of this. See, folks, I, I got news for you. Our world is not going to get any easier. Uh, things are not just going to go away. And in our society, it's going to become more and more difficult to be a Christian and to stand firm for God in the midst of what the world is going to throw our way. And let me, let me be honest with you too. If your desire is that God protect you from danger and that God protect you from all the stuff out there that could go wrong. You need to just move to your own island somewhere because that, that, that's just the reality of the world. There's an enemy on the loose and there's been an enemy on the loose ever since man sinned in the garden. And yes, Jesus went to the cross to defeat that enemy. But for the time being, that enemy is still out there. He's prowling around like a lion, the Bible says, seeking to devour his prey. And so maybe instead of praying, God, keep me safe, God, give me boldness and courage to stare in the face of my enemy. Give me courage and strength and, and power, Lord. We saw this in Acts chapter 4, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. Uh, the, the, the Peter and John have just been arrested for preaching in Jesus' name. They've been threatened. Don't, don't do this anymore. And this is the same Peter who a few weeks earlier ran and hid because he was scared of of, of the same faith that Jesus had. He didn't want to be crucified alongside Jesus. And now a few weeks later, the Holy Spirit is in him. And in the midst of threats of death, they go back and they pray, God, give us boldness. Give us courage. Give us strength. Give us the power to make your name known in the world. See, Paul prays for this power to be through God's Spirit in our inner, uh, inner, inner, inner being. In other words, he's praying that we gain the power of God in our hearts and minds. I'm sure you would love, you know, a, a divine physical strength. But let's be honest, that wouldn't really help us too much. 
See, courage and perseverance are traits of the heart and mind. Our physical bodies are temporary. God giving me superhuman strength is only going to last as long as my body lasts. But when he renews and strengthens my heart and my mind and my soul, that is going to push me to eternity. That is going to lead me beyond this world into the kingdom of God. That's why later on Paul would write this in 2 Corinthians, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Folks, praying for God's power will impact your heart to grow in its desire to stand strong. Physical strength will help us today. Spiritual strength will help us forever. Along those lines, Paul makes his second request in verse 17. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, this may seem a bit like an odd request, especially if you've been a Christian for you know, any length of time here. Because you may say, well, I have Christ dwelling in my heart. I accepted him. I said yes to him. And I know that the Bible says when I said that, that I have Jesus in my heart. And then I was baptized and I've got the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. And yes, that is all very true. So why would Paul pray for something that maybe a Christian already has? Maybe he's got a different idea in mind. Maybe it's not so much that we actually get Christ to dwell in our hearts, but that we focus on Christ dwelling in our hearts a little bit more. Maybe it's this idea that we don't need to take that for granted, but rather we need to continue to pursue God. Now, maybe you're one of these that when you acquire something, you're just, you're content and you're good and you move along with it. Or maybe you like to continue pursuing whatever that is, even though you've acquired it. See, see in the Christian walk, we call this spiritual formation or spiritual disciplines. It's another word for discipleship. Yes, we have Jesus in our hearts but then we're also commanded, we talked about this last week, not only just to make disciples, but to teach them how to become like Jesus. And as a disciple, it is our duty and our job to continue to become more like him, to strive to become more like this. So spiritual formation, when we talk about this topic, spiritual formation is a daily commitment to allow the Spirit to continually shape and mold our hearts and our minds. If you're familiar with Redwood, over the past few years, we developed what we call our core values. We have six of them. And number one, do you remember it? It's that we will relentlessly pursue a deeper, transforming relationship with God. I like to tell people this. We always talk about our next steps with Jesus. What's your next step? And often we want to get people to say yes and accept him as Lord and Savior and then repent and then be baptized. You know, we want that to happen, right? And I like to tell people that getting into the baptistry isn't the end of the road. No, that's actually your first step on your walk with Jesus. And your first step out of the water should be your first step on that path hand in hand with him. And that the more that you're going to walk with Jesus, the more you're going to become like him. In other words, it's a daily pursuit of Jesus. It's a daily commitment to spending time in your, your Bible, reading the word every day praying every day. Those are the two most basic spiritual disciplines. And I know sometimes, let's be honest, as Americans, we don't like to be reminded of our disciplines. We like our independence. But folks, we're not trying to be Americans here. We're trying to be citizens of the kingdom. We're trying to be followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. Jesus spent time in the word. Jesus had the word memorized. He had it in his heart so that he could pull it out and use it whenever he needed it. Jesus prayed often to his Father in heaven. 
we should be no different. We should make that commitment to, to at some point in our day, whether it's the beginning or the end of your day, I'm not going to say there's a right way to do it, but we need to make a commitment daily to spend time with our Lord so that we can become more like him. Uh, Grant Osborne wrote a great commentary on Ephesians. He said this, When our thought life is continually strengthened with the presence of Christ and the Spirit, spiritual growth will be the natural result. Now, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to become more like Jesus? Who doesn't want the Spirit to strengthen you and grow you? We, we just a moment ago prayed for power, for strength. We get that when we allow the Spirit to form our hearts and our soul, uh, minds and our souls. And when we do this, folks, we will become more spiritually and mentally and emotionally in tune with our Creator. I want to challenge you and encourage you. If, if you know nothing about the spiritual disciplines, I would love it if you'd reach out to me this week. Email me, Kurt at redwoodchristian.org, because that's one of the things I really want to push as we get into this summer. Now, whether we get back in, in, in physical meeting form or not, I want to start really emphasizing how we can practice the spiritual disciplines together. Uh, we, we talked in the past about that book, Core 52 by Martin Moore. That's a good start. That's, that's a great start to growing spiritually. There's other great resources out there. And again, I would love to, to walk this journey with you. So reach out to me. If this is something you'd be interested in, I would, I would love to walk the spiritual disciplines with you. Because there's a reason we do this. Paul mentions it, the last part of verse 17, so that we can be rooted and grounded in love. This is, is, is such an interesting, you know, five words here, rooted and grounded in love. There's some debate scholars have whether this is actually a third request by Paul or part of the second one or actually part of the third one. I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer. It doesn't necessarily matter to me if there's one or the other. But Paul is really emphasizing this about these five words, rooted and grounded in love. Our foundation of our lives needs to be in the love of Jesus Christ. Again, go back. The last three weeks, what have we talked about? Salvation is a gift of grace through faith. We were reconciled uh, to, to God and reconciled to others. And the mystery is that the gospel, that that message goes to everybody. All three of those, all three of those root out of the love of Jesus Christ. And so what Paul does here, he uses these words rooted and grounded. Uh, this gives us both an agricultural and an architectural uh, thought behind this. Uh, these play off of the words of Jesus. In Matthew 13, Jesus gives a parable about the sower and specifically about the sower throwing seed out into his field and it landing in different types of soil or different types of terrain. And that some of those types of soil are conducive to growth and some aren't. One of the soils, for example, it's like a, a sidewalk. The seed hits it and it just blows away or washes away really easily. Some, it's like, you know, rocky soil so that the roots start to grow, but there's nowhere for them to go and they snuff out quick. Or some is shallow soil and the plants blow away quickly, but some's good soil. And if it's properly tended, then that, that plant's going to grow. But then in Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, he gives another uh, lesson on, on foundation. And in particular, he talks about building your house on a rock and not on sand. And here's why he tells us this. Uh, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And he kind of uses the same illustration by saying everybody who built their house on the sand, when the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew, it washed away and it was gone. 
Now, you don't have to be an, an architect or a contractor to know that you need a solid foundation before you can build a building. You have to have good level even footing, and if it's not there, you have to create it. We have it. It's available for us through Jesus, through the blood of Jesus. So I'd say it this way, only a life rooted in the power of Christ can withstand whatever the world is going to throw at it. And again, we just went over this. The world is throwing a lot at us right now, and, and the world's not done. The world's going to continue to throw a lot at us. But people often have asked me, Kurt, how can you, how can you be calm through some of this? And not just COVID, but other, other times too. How can you be calm to this? And, and my initial answer is, I don't know. And then I stop and pause and think for a second and go, actually, I do know. It's because of Jesus. And it's not because of me. It's because of Jesus. It's because I have focused my life on Jesus. Because I have made Jesus not just the Lord of my life, but the focal point, the center of my life. I have based my life on his teachings. I'm trying every day. I know I fail, but I'm trying every day to become more like him. And folks, that helps me. That helps me stand strong in the midst of what this world is throwing at us. Paul gives his final request in verse 18. Uh, He says this, uh, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So he's talking about the love of God here, the love of Jesus, that love that we are rooted in, that love from which everything good comes in our lives. And he says two things about it. First, he says it's multidimensional. He, he, he wants us to know how wide and long and deep and tall this is. It's like four-dimensional, right? And now, if you think about this for a second. Have you ever looked at a blueprint sketch of a room or a house? Uh, you know, not even necessarily a blueprint, maybe just a diagram on a website. It shows you exactly how big this is. This is 10 foot wide by, by 12 foot long. It's got 8 foot ceilings. You, know, you can do all the math in your head to figure the square footage and the cubic footage. But that's, that's what it gives you. You have to try and picture the rest of that. And maybe you're like me. I can look at blueprints and go, yeah, that seems like that's pretty good size. And then you go visit that house. And you actually see the room in person. And you're like, oh, this is, this is a lot bigger than I was expecting. Or it's a lot smaller than I was expecting. You have to see it in person to truly get a hold of how big this actually is. And you, you kind of get the idea of the scope and the relation and the ratio of all of this. That's the multidimensional level and angle of the love of Jesus. It's not something that's just linear, linear him from him to us. No, it's, it's much, much bigger than that. But second, Paul wants us to understand that this love of Christ, it surpasses all knowledge. Again, we look at a blueprint and we can see, okay, I can comprehend this. You may not be able to picture it, but you get an idea, right? No, the love of Jesus surpasses what we can understand. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to figure something out that just simply cannot be figured out? Maybe it's a riddle. Maybe it's a math equation. Parents, are you helping your kids with math right now? And, you know, it's just you're like, okay, sorry, this, there's not an answer to this question. If you're there, you're not alone. Trust me. <laughs> but we do this, right? We think about something that we're trying to figure out and we can't, and it's frustrating. It's overwhelming. Sometimes it's heavy. It's just stressful because this is so complex and vast that we can't wrap our minds around it. And so what do a lot of us do? We get frustrated and we either quit 
and we push it away and leave it alone? Or we go, well, that's messed up. You know, that, that, that's just dumb the way that's written. We're not going to try to figure that out anymore. God doesn't want you to do this. Because he's saying point blank, you cannot understand the love of Jesus. It is too big for you to understand. Now, for some people, they, they struggle with that. Because they want to understand who God is before they, they come to him. That they want to understand what they're getting into. And folks, let me just be very, very clear about this. You can have every Bible college degree on the planet on your wall. You can memorize this Bible. You can read every commentary that's out there. You will not fully understand God. You can't. Our minds can only comprehend so much. But here's what I want you to understand about this amazing love of God. God does not need you to be able to explain it. He wants you to experience it. That's to me some of the best news that the Bible has to offer. Because I, you can't explain and understand the love. But you can certainly experience it. And God wants you to experience it. Yes, his love is overwhelming. If you're a parent, you understand this at least to some degree, right? Because you can tell your kids, there's nothing you can do that's going to make me stop loving you. And I mean, my kids all the time, even at their age, are asking, Daddy, do you still love me? You know, and sometimes I'm like, well, let me think about it for a little while. I'm joking, right? No, of course I do. And it doesn't matter how mad they make me. It doesn't matter how frustrated they make me. It doesn't matter uh, what they've done. I love them. I love them with everything in my heart, and nothing's going to change that. And God is even on a much grander scale than I am. There's nothing, nothing any of us can do that will erase the love of God in our lives. And that love, that love went to the cross for us. It defies explanation. It defies reason. And that love, folks, we root and ground our lives into it. And when we do, we will withstand everything this world has to offer. When has that been a part of your prayer life? It's a part of Paul's right here. Are you praying daily that, God, just remind me today of your love? When I'm struggling, when I'm frustrated, when I'm stressed, remind me of your love. Here's why this, this to me, it's such a beautiful passage and such a beautiful prayer. Because look how Paul wraps this up, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I, uh, I asked you earlier, if you could ask God for one thing, what would it be? And I, I was clear in saying, no, we're not limited to asking God one thing. Because often we ask God, I think if, if you're like me, you, you ask God for something that seems reasonable. I'm not going and asking God, God, please make me six foot three and you know 215 pounds and even more ripped than I already am. Sometimes we ask, you know, things that are practical and reasonable, like, God, give me the motivation to go run half a mile so that I can walk across my house without getting out of breath. Or we ask for things, you know, for other people. God, heal this person. Guide the physicians. Um, God, help, help me get a promotion at work. We ask for things that are practical, that are logical. Why? Because most of us are practical and logical. We think in terms of what makes sense. How many of you are asking God for the impossible? You're asking God to, man, God, double the size of our church. 
And God, bless us beyond what we can think so that we can bless you. We can make you famous. God, God, in fact, not just our church, double every church across America. Bring revival to our world. How many of you are praying things like that? Like, Holy Spirit, just invade us today. See, sometimes I think we put God in, in our shoes. We put God in a box that we've built and created, and, and we give him our limitations. He is God. He is the God, again, who spoke the world into existence. And Paul says it very clearly right here that he is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. I can ask and think quite a bit. (laughs) I've got a fairly vivid imagination. I, I can come up with some pretty big ideas. And yet God is far more than even those. He is greater than anything that you can imagine. In fact, I've said this before and, and throw this back out there again. Whatever you think about God, you're underestimating him. However big you think he is, however powerful you, you think he is, you're underestimating him. And God, I think, wants us to pray for the impossible, for that person in your life that wants nothing to do with God, wants nothing to do with him, has turned their heart away. They are not beyond the reach of God. Keep praying for them. Uh, For the situation in your life that seems utterly hopeless, for a relationship that's broken, for a job that is a dead end, for an addiction that will not let go of you, don't stop praying for that. For a church that you want to turn the corner and start reaching people for Jesus and just having new person upon new person come in, don't stop praying for that. For leadership in a government that seems broken, and that seems clueless at times. Don't stop praying for them. God is not limited by anything, folks. Keep asking and keep praying. That's why Paul approached this prayer on his knees. Go back to the very beginning. Paul went to his knees in prayer. How often, when you start your prayer... Do you start it immediately with your list of needs rather than this God who is able to do far more than you can possibly think or ask? Because if you started there, folks, if you started right there at the end of this passage, I can promise you, you don't have any other option than to get to your knees to pray. You don't have any other uh, spot or posture than, than one of a humble servant coming to his master. God knows you. God knows your inner thoughts. He knows your heart. And he died for you anyway. That's humbling. God knows what I'm going to do to him today. And he died for me anyway. And folks, when I think about that, when I think about how Jesus died for me, knowing what I was going to do to him, that drives me to my knees. When I think about what I've seen in my life, the miracles I've seen Jesus do in my life or in the lives of people close to me, that drives me to my knees. When I think about a God who wants more for me than I ask. Parents, you want more for your kids often than they ask, right? God wants better for me than I want for myself. I'm driven to my knees. I don't know where you're at today with, with, with Jesus. Maybe, maybe you've been on this journey with Jesus for a long time. 
Maybe you have um, not even started a journey with Jesus yet. Maybe you haven't even thought about a a journey with Jesus yet. Maybe you stumbled across us today on Facebook or YouTube. If you did and you're still with us, man, I'm praying for you today and this week. I don't say that flippantly. I, I, I am. God has done, think about these last two months. God has done so much more through a church that feels it's being persecuted because it's being told it can't show up at its building. God has reached more people in the last two months, I would dare say, than in the first 250 years of this country. Why? Because we're finally getting out of his way. You realize Easter Sunday of this year, uh, I've seen a few different stats that show this. Easter Sunday of this past year, what, a month ago, more people heard the gospel than at any point in history. Or at least more people were exposed to the gospel than any moment in history. That should drive you to your knees in prayer. God is still active. The church is still active. And yes, someday in the near future, we're going to start gathering together in our building. But folks, God is still on the move. We need to be on the move with him. We need to never stop pursuing him. Make prayer part of your life daily. And when you pray, folks, remember who he is. Remember who he is. And then remember that he's inviting you to come along with him. A little simple takeaway for you today, just a simple prayer. Just a simple prayer that I want you to pray today. I want you to pray this this week. You can screenshot this when it pops up if you want. But here's what this prayer is. Father, show me your love this week. Give me your power in my heart this week to stand strong for you always. Help me become rooted in you so I can become more like you, Jesus.